0: Thank you for joining us for another Hagley History Hangout. My name is Gregory Hargreaves, program officer in the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library in Wilmington, Delaware. Now, you know, during these History Hangouts, we like to bring you some of the great research being done by folks using the historical collections at the Hagley Library, especially by scholars who have received funding from the Hagley Center. One such scholar joining me today is Alex Liebman, a PhD candidate at Rutgers University and we'll be discussing his dissertation project titled Agroecological Farming, Prehistories of Agriculture's Digital Turn. Alex, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's nice you're to welcome. Be here. You're very welcome. Let's start by painting with broad strokes. What is it you're researching and writing about? Sure.
1: So I am a geographer or becoming a geographer by training. So thinking about really broadly Um, the sort of political, social, ecological, historical production of space. And I'm interested in sort of agricultural spaces. And today we're witnessing, well, I think there's a lot of of popular rhetoric and also actual technological changes around digital agriculture. And that's um, changing agricultural landscapes in both material ways in terms of how places are actually farmed and who's farming and what is being farmed and what type of machinery um, and also in sort of the ways that agriculture is discussed, theorized, conceptualized. Mm. And I have been really interested in how does, how does that emerge historically? I think it's easy when we think about technology and especially about digital technology, there's almost this right, like this association between the digital and the new. Or the novel. And I've been influenced by a lot of media studies scholars, um, a lot of sort of critical historians of science to complicate what it mean. What does it mean when we talk about the digital? And I've started to think through well, can we trace the digital back to even these sort of moments before computation or before what we know of as sort of a kind of contemporary digital wireless? Um, handheld devices, mobile technology—the sort of things we commonly associate. Is there a sort of underlying um, aspect, philosophy, attempts to create something, digit, quote unquote digital, sort of historically. And right now I'm just trying to sort of, some of this project is taking place in the American agricultural landscape. Um, I also do work looking at international development and sort of agricultural technology technological development and that's focused in Colombia in in the country of Colombia but during the sort of long COVID change of research I was sort of trying to reshift some of my research to look at sort of US archives um, and sort of thinking okay what is like what were people thinking of in the 1940s 50s 60s 70s 80s around sort of some of these questions of automation around computation as applied to the agricultural landscape where I, um, I haven't, just hadn't seen a ton of work done. Yeah. So that's how I became, I can tell you obviously how, what I found at the Hagley Museum. That's sort of how I came to begin great. asking some of these questions and how I ent- uh, came to the Hagley Museum. So.
0: Yeah, those are some really great and fascinating questions. And before we drill down to uh, the smaller level, I'd like to maybe hear a little bit about your methods. It seems to me like you have one foot in physical geography and another foot in cultural geography, and you're using the methods of both to tell a more complicated story. So perhaps as a mm-hmm. geographer, could you perhaps unpack that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, that's an, it's an interesting question. I would say that at this point, my methods are really trying to, and in some ways this comes like a classic um, I don't want to say like sort of like Marxian approach, but like how does like material, how do material processes connect with systems of thought, politics, maybe ideology, that sometimes that's like feels sort of dated, but so I'm just in sort of how do you tell a sort of social, right, and political history of technology? And rather than looking looking at that of, as sort of disembodied objects or these sort of aspects of our lives that seem somewhat remote from really sort of concrete um, political, social conditions, the, maybe the political economic processes going on at the time, but also how, how are, how are technologies a reflection, both a reflection of and also influencing particular people's ideas about the world? And so how do we sort of trace that So in terms of methods, I think one thing I'm, I mean, I, in some ways, and this is, there's a researcher I love at, um, at New York university who studies sort of histories of race and, and political economy. And he has this kind of quip, he had this quip, we were talking a few weeks ago where he's like, well, in some ways methods boil down to just what are you reading and who are you talking to? (laughs) And I don't know if I can really step outside of that. I think I'm really informed by, I have a background, I have a master's in in agronomy, so in the physical sciences. So I, I'm trying to stay really attentive to physical questions, and especially, idea, especially not just ideas, but sort of what's, what's occurring materially in terms of soil management, in terms of crises of underproduction or overproduction, or the perception, right, of those crises, Um Throughout time, now we, I mean, the big thing, right? It's like, how can we think about agriculture? In 2022, we couldn't think about shifts in agricultural trade and technology, right? Outside of ecological crises like climate change and as those sort of develop and are, create new instabilities and unknowns, but also things like the war in Ukraine, right? Which is like totally shifted the agricultural landscape. Um, as a sort of geographer, and somebody of interested in sort of historical and cultural geography, it's sort of tracing those conditions um, backwards and sort of looking at how um, those sort of similar, whatever those processes were, might be influencing um, technological decisions at the time. And and I think one thing that I am really interested in that I think is a method is, is a sort of methodological methodological approach is being really interested in sort of in, in contingency and openness, right, where I don't, I'm not interested in trying to tell a sort of linear cause and effect history that leads up into um, this sort of the present day. I'm interested in these sort of stops, starts, failed attempts at creating a particular future that in its failure, failure might say a lot more about people's present con, condition, understanding of the present when they were alive so I think methodologically, rather than this sort of reading of um, the past and the vantage point of the present, of really trying to, and again, this comes back to this materialist approach is like, how do you, how does one occupy, embody, try to see the world through how somebody might have conceptualized computerized, tech, computerized agriculture in 1968 or 1977 or even in 1945? Um and that's, sort of, that's an approach I'm taking um, throughout this, which I don't know if that, yeah, methodology is, is tough. So that's, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, I'm still really trying to figure that out as I mm-hmm. sort of move into the kind of research part of my,
0: of my dissertation in the next couple of years. Well, it sounds like uh, you've got a real historian's heart uh, for this matter, especially when you're talking about contingency and openness and trying to read um, history forward as opposed to reading it backward. That's really key to uh, the modern discipline of history. Mm -hmm. Now, who are some of the actors in this story? Who um, are perhaps, who's interested or thinking about agricultural technology in the mid 20th century? Um, Who are some of the, uh, whose perspectives as you're talking about seeing through someone's eyes, uh, whose eyes uh, are you trying to look through?
1: Yeah, so, and may I just dive in here and say that I, the reason I became interested, came to the Hagley Museum and became yes. interested in the so there's the Hagley Museum has the archives of a, an inventor named Arthur Hall, who was a pretty prolific Bell um, Bell Labs engineer. And then at some point, like in the 60s, and then that definitely throughout the 70s, 80s into the 90s, had really set out alone to try to create and sort of apply some of his a lot of his previous industry research in telecommunications to um, some applied agricultural processes. Mm. And both and the Bell Labs had been very sort of influential in and influenced by broader sort of system science and cybernetics thinking of the fifties and sixties. And I think one of my interests was in trying to trace maybe that influence um into Arthur Hall's attempts to basically create a fully automated farm, which he dubbed auto farm. He received Hmm. a patent from the U S government in 1977 for basically this massive integrated collection of systems that would try to sort of fully automate farming from the sensing of soil moisture to harvesting, to washing the produce, to weeding. Um, And I, I was quite interested in that because I think that really reflects this change in science, science more broadly from more sort of um, in some ways more reductive, more sort of isolated mechanical processes to a much broader conception of, of ecology and of sort of human eco, ecological and technology systems as really integrated so at the same time and one thing i think is interesting is arthur hall there's one way to read arthur hall as a total sort of crackpot and failure like he does none of this actually comes into fruition um and this and i think that is also well i think there are many reasons for that one of those is that he is not interested in um a sort of larger agribusiness approach which is dominating agricultural technological changes at the time so if we also zoom out and look at changes sort of post-world war ii shifts in american agriculture this is this time of really rapid mechanization of sort of consolidation of um and sort of both well nascent i would say nascent growth and then sort of simultaneous consolidation of agricultural production you have a sort of decline of smaller family farms in the u.s throughout the 20th century so you and this sort of ideology which is really supported by by um, by production mandates by um, by incentive by crop incentives to the US government by sort of by agribusiness sort of releasing new seed varieties by the introduction of more herbicides and pesticides this is you have the shift to much larger mechanized farms, and that has been sort of widely critiqued for its like environmental and social issues. And it's often, I think, there's often the, I think often what can emerge from that is it can feel like there's a critique sort of against. And so I think, and I don't think this is actually accurate necessarily. This it can sort of opposes sort of positive growing mechanizing modernization that's really based on technology and then sort of like almost like a luddite anti-technology sort of ecology folks against pushing against that and i think that throughout a lot of agroecology there's actually a lot of folks that are interested in using um technologies just differently sort of and at different types of scales and different types of questions around different types of ownership and i think arthur hall well, he's not necessarily connected to a sort of maybe more like progressive or left or radical or hippie like critique of the sort of mid-20th century term but he's sort of corresponding he's corresponding with them but he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's he's explicitly interested in the application of automation to small farmers and how to sort of preserve or develop or both preserve and develop a sort of small farmer sector in the US in the face of large scale mechanization, but precisely through intense optimization, which is, it presents this like really interesting set of, I would say both like maybe paradoxes, but also um, an interesting approach as um, maybe we try to, as maybe one tries to hatch out of a kind of like technology, more technology equals, massive mechanization modernization versus sort of no technology is good because it's sort of quote unquote ecological. Um, and so I think he just presents this like interesting um, non really non-player. I don't think he was necessarily relevant, but I think if we read back, he was synthesizing a ton of different ideas that were at play at the time in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope that's, yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now, how would Arthur Hall's Auto farm have worked. It just seems um, like an incredibly daunting task to automate uh, agriculture um, mm-hmm. uh, in such great detail. How would how did he propose to do it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I need I am my next task is to sort of read much more closely through a lot of the mm-hmm. patents that I um, scanned and looked through, but. In general, I think he's thinking through basically a series of. um, It's funny, like this is not, this this is pre wireless. So he's thinking of a system of sort of integrated sensors that are literally like, you know, electromagnetic sensors with cables running to a sort of very simple computer that is running through sort of some input output feedback loops that then will trigger right a series of functions like Mm. if the soil is too moist um irrigate and there will be sort of another cable running to the water pump that triggers that like this right this this to send water to a certain part of the field Um, so it's really like this I think model where like one could hang out. Hang out is too informal. Like work from a centralized location on the farm and really be able to um, manage mm-hmm. um, sort of the yeah irrigation. Um, there, so irrigation is a big part of it because of the sort of soil moisture part that actually becomes mm-hmm. a part that I think, if I remember correctly. Um, some of that, some of that technology, he's in really close correspondence with folks, both in California in Israel, and then also in Saudi Arabia, because I think it's like probably one of the system, part of the systems that's like able to be siphoned off Mm. into like a sort of self-contained technology, but he also has designs for like fully automated tractors for harvesting, um, for big like washing units, for pesticide application that I do think I don't think there's a direct link between what he was doing and say, farming contemporary sort of mechanized farming, using drones or using driverless tractors in the Midwest, but there's a clear link that he's trying to get there. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's many, many different components. They're linked through some centralized computation and Cable-based. And he's also thinking through, and this is something I need to really dive down into, but there is some, he has some chapters. um, There's a book that he published that's based off of his patent that came out in 1979 called The Future World of Computerized Agriculture. Mm. And there he is thinking through early machine learning ideas. So he's trying to figure out if he can use some templates to train some of the um, like optical sensors that he's using. To check on like sort of some basic indicators of plant health, right? So like, can can the can, this, can the optical sensors recognize whether the plant is um, a particular say differential in color that might indicate that it mm-hmm. needs to be watered, or mm-hmm. that would trigger the farmer going out to check whether it had diseases or? And I think that's interesting, especially because um, like some of my work more recently has been looking at. Um, the digitalization agriculture in this sugarcane valley in Colombia, and the very like well-financed, sort of well-capitalized sugarcane farmers are all deeply invested in sort of deep neural networks for um, trying to identify things like crop diseases um, mm-hmm. and tra- training AI pattern recognition and that. Mm-hmm. So they're, that seems like a really, like I, again, like I'm not positing like a sort of cause and effect link, but I think these sort of like vestigial pre digital attempts are really interesting to sort of trace. Um, what, yeah, into a sort of present moment where if that if that seems sort of so um, almost self evident, and and I think when Arthur Hall was thinking about these things, he was essentially came across as like a as a crackpot. Mm. <laughs>
0: Well, in terms of his social objective of um, preserving the small farm, especially in the face of massive consolidation, et cetera, was Arthur Hall's notion that by promoting the small farmer from laborer to manager of this integrated technological system would allow him or her to be competitive uh, in this era of massive corporatized farming? Am I reading that correctly?
1: Yeah, I think that's precisely. And I actually think that one of the issues that I've been thinking through is that he, he, I think he's not, hmm, there's a way in which he is approaching the very complex issue of agriculture in some ways from his mindset as an engineer, which is to say he's not like, he's certainly not critical of say histories of settler colonialism or racialized labor or the dispossession of indigenous folks for land, right? He's sort of locating the ideal within a sort of Jeffersonian model of a Mm -hmm. smallholder agrarian farmer, Mm -hmm. which granted also in the face of intense mechanization is a, um, is a really different alternative than um, where we've sort of come today. And in many ways also reflects, I would say, much of um, so-called sort of progressive agroecology at the time too. Um, that sort of, in some ways, sort of Wendell Berry notion of, of a sort of human farmer as a kind of American, ideal American subject for the sort of for r- rural subject, Which I think rightly so has been read like very widely critiqued. But I think that's what that's what Arthur Hall is taking up. I think that makes sense. I've been thinking a lot about how while he is in correspondence with ambassadors from, especially from Poland, he's sending letters right to folks in Israel and Saudi Arabia, he's applying for patents. In many ways, his own worldview is quite provincial. Like he essentially travels between rural Maryland. Um, some of the Bell Labs institutes, I believe are in sort of Baltimore and look, and they also spend some time at Johns Hopkins. And then he moves up and he has a lot of correspondence with some vineyards that are trying to do more automation and some vegetable farms that are in sort of Southern New Jersey, right? But this is like, then he's making these, I mean, his, right, like his his book is called The Future World of Computerized Agriculture. He is quite interested in how these technologies can be adapted to this sort of like universal problem facing smallholder farmers. Hmm. Um, and I don't think that's, that's not, not necessarily also particular to Arthur Hall. I think he's reflecting in some ways a larger, in some ways issue with what the sort of, I would say almost like the provincialism of universality and thinking about technology Mm -hmm. Um, where, and this is something that as a like geographer, I think about a lot of sort of how does, how is scale produced, right? How often are, when when things are conceptualized globally, are they often really reflective of regional and local dynamics? And I think you just, he has in his archives, newspaper clippings of all these issues facing smallholder farmers in new jersey that are being displaced because of large-scale mechanization but also suburbia and he's trying to think about how he can make them more profitable he's inviting rural vineyards the owners of them to come over to his house to see his patent projects and sort of some prototypes Um, at the same time that he's writing these sort of like grandiose ideas about sort of what the face of global agriculture should take. And I just think that's a really interesting um, paradox or set of, and I'm saying sort of contradictions as just sort of maybe the contradictions that each, anybody trying to invent anything at any point in time is inevitably caught up in, in terms of being part of a social system inhabited by their own worldview, by their own upbringing, by their own perception of time and history. But there's this like, he is a really interesting sort of um yeah reflection of some of those some of those contradictions and i and maybe my like more snide critique of like the scientific or engineering mindset would be like well damn it like you didn't think about history of like or of course you need to like um think about histories of of settler colonialism or about sort of racial capitalism if you're Really going to address the fundamental issues of agriculture in the U.S. Um, at the same time, like I'm like I don't, I don't want to read that on to a um, intelligent Bell Labs engineer from who's sort of setting out with this worldview. It's just sort of an interesting mm-hmm. set of questions to to to
0: to think through. Yeah, yeah it shows, uh, no matter how elevated an individual's perspective is, it can't be total. I wonder if briefly, Alex, you could um, explain what some of the implications your work might have for the present day and perhaps near future.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I was I just thinking about this morning, um, talking to a bunch of um, agronomists in development agriculture who are doing more digital projects around climate change. Um, one thing that I think and this is just, you know, one, yeah, my small contribution is that I do think there is a, um, an infatuation and in some ways, like a mysti- mystification of the sort of contemporary digital moment. And, and and maybe maybe it's also like a romanticism, a sort of a d- digital, digital, an infatuation with a sort of a digital romantic that, um, things are really complicated, really messed up, really sort of history is a mess. The future looks like it's a mess, but maybe these sort of massive projects, especially around sort of big data can sort of be a potential solve or salvation even from a vexed human condition that right around the sort of human's relationship between um, themselves, nature, technology. And I don't believe that. I think that what is key is that questions around um, agency, process, ownership, these situated where, who is producing the technology, and where does it come from, and who is it in relationship to, and what types of worldviews do those embody, enact. Those are really like the key conditions, I think, in any type of sort of development and distribution and in um, experimentation with technology. And I think that in writing these and really tracing some of these historical processes that can be really useful for thinking, um, well, for thinking about how to sort of approach technology and agricultural technology in the present. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like my, you know, Minor hope is that some of some of the work that I'm doing here can inform um, a lot of contemporary debates spaces in which um, in which the in which these same processes really these, and these and really the same paradoxes between around questions of production resource use land distribution are being discussed and and also really fought over. And I think. Um, my sort of own so sort of the politics of my research or one of the political parts of my research is that I think, um, there's much more possibility of, um, equality of equity, um, with more people having much more sort of ownership and agency over the technology they use in their day-to-day lives and really around the invention of that and the management of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think part of the ways we get there is that we tell different stories about how technology comes to be and show its contingency, its malleability, its paradoxes, um, rather than its sort of um, black box inevitability. So that's all, that's all I hope it that's I hope it can be useful.
0: <laughs> well, it's a, a certainly a noble endeavor. And Alex, thank you for sharing your work with me today. It's been really interesting.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate
0: it. Oh, you're welcome. And for the audience. If you would like more Hagley History Hangouts, more information on the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library, join us online. You can visit Hagley.org. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y dot O-R-G. Don't be a stranger.